0: when's the last time you felt bothered by something doesn't matter if we're talking about client acquisition or friendship which we actually talk about a good amount in this episode because let's face it friendship is hard as an adult it pays in multiple ways to be bothered to speak up and to show you care for the clients and friends in your business and life And today's guest knows a lot about not only being a great friend, but also about how to be brave in business and life. This branding strategist isn't afraid to terrify herself on a regular basis. This could look like stepping on a stage to do spoken word poetry or doing a backflip or traveling in a, a foreign country alone, or even building a business that's different from everyone else's business. In today's episode of the Copywriter Club podcast, you're in for a treat with brand strategist, gymnast, and all around brave copywriter, Liv Steigrad. Rob and I have had the luck of getting to know Liv in our think tank mastermind. And every time I spend time with her, I feel inspired to be more brave in my own business and life. Stay tuned because you won't want to miss this conversation. All right, so today I have a special co-host. I'm really excited to chat through this episode with Jen Josick, uh, a personality-driven copywriter and brand storyteller um, and an incredible email copywriter as well. I know we don't want to give you three titles, Jen, but I feel like I have to mention email because you're a prolific email writer as well. So Jen, thanks for being with me to talk through this episode. I appreciate it. Of
1: course. So happy to be here.
0: All right. So before we start to talk and kind of dissect this conversation, um, I just want to mention that, of course, the podcast is sponsored by the Think Tank, which is our mastermind program. And Jen, you're a member of the Think Tank. So I'm just going to ask you a question about it. From your experience, you know, what is has been the biggest benefit to your business from being in a mastermind like the Think Tank? Oh,
1: there's so many things. Um, definitely the community has been huge. Working on a business no one tells you how lonely it is, and so being able to be surrounded by so many different copywriters and just being able to connect with a bunch of different copywriters that are going in different directions and bringing different ideas to the table. It really shows you all the different opportunities that you can do to take your business in whatever direction that feels good to you. And I think that that is really special and just having that support someone to listen and the accountability has been phenomenal. And I'm curious, Jen, so um, what have you focused
0: on in your business that maybe you weren't expecting to focus on initially when you joined? Have there
1: been any, any surprises for you along the way? There have been quite some surprises, actually. I started off um, with my focus primarily on brand messaging and voice and web copy, and I recently took a pivot into email which is something that I wanted to explore, but was too afraid to do it, actually. Um, And so it was a really nice opportunity to pivot that way um, and to grow my skills, as well as just connect with other members of the think tank and learn from them and really um, push myself further than I normally have. And um, definitely one of the things that I probably wasn't planning on was doing speaking opportunities, and I found that I actually really like them. So it's been a pleasant surprise that I'm (laughs) shocked about uh, because I am not a great public speaker, but I really do enjoy um, speaking. And so that's definitely something I want to explore more.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing, Jen. So if you're listening and you have any interest in being part of a mastermind and focusing on some big goals in your business, um, and maybe you know, feeling a little, maybe you even want to feel a little surprised by what you can accomplish and see um, is possible for your business, you can check it out and reach out to our team at help at the to send our team an email and mention you're interested in the think tank and we can um, jump on a call and chat about it with you. All right, so let's jump into the conversation with Liv.
2: I always loved writing, I always knew I wanted to do it, but when I was younger, I didn't know what my options were. I thought I could only be a novelist um, and I was never about that struggling artist life. So I went and studied psychology at uni instead um, and quickly decided that that career path was not for me. Um, even though I love the, the field of it, I just never felt qualified to actually um, get inside people's heads in that way um so then I I got an internship at a publication and learned a bit more about like media um and then that helped me get a job um a couple days a week at a magazine and then I came across uh, I came across copywriting in a Facebook group and I was like oh what's this and then I started googling it and I was like I think I'm already kind of doing this and I want to do more of this and I feel like I could make good money doing this, which was like a a total revelation. It was like the sun coming through the clouds for the first time. Um, And so I, I didn't know how to get a job in it. So I decided to give myself a job in it and started my business.
3: (laughs) Uh, I love that. So the psychology background has me intrigued, you know, obviously you didn't want to pursue Mm -hmm. that as a career path, but how does the psychology degree that you hold inform what you do as a copywriter?
2: Not in the way that everyone thinks. And I, I don't know if I should say this in a podcast, which I don't know how many people are going to listen to. You but... should
3: definitely say it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, most people, when they hear that, are like, oh, wow, like you understand how people behave and you understand people's motivations. And you can, like, sometimes people are like, oh, you can read minds. Um, none of that is true. Um, a degree in psychology is way more technical and way more scientific than people think. Um, and the, like the human behavior part is like one topic out of, you know, 20. Um, um, but the part that I do use is the, the research. So one of the assignments that I had to do was called the systematic review, which is basically finding all of the available research on a topic and putting it into this table and finding the common themes. And um, that is basically how I now do my voice of customer research. And I kind of use that mindset and that methodology and my brand strategy and how I analyze things these days as well. But all of my um, psychology skills that I actually use in copywriting, I have learned just from like being a good friend um, and receiving therapy, like those soft skills of how to listen, how to pick up on what people are feeling, how to interpret, you know, like people's behavior and apply that to how they might be feeling. And all of that did not learn it in a psychology degree.
0: Okay, well, can you help us become better friends? (laughs) I mean, how to be a a good friend is hard. It's not, I mean, it's hard for me at least. And I feel like you're very in tune with that. And
2: um, so
0: how can we become better friends to our friends?
2: Yeah, it's actually really easy. You just have to be bothered. Um, and I, I, I apply that philosophy to everything in my life like just be bothered like just care it is cool to care it is cool to show it it is cool to put in effort it is cool to you know take the time and think about your friends and if you can't remember their birthday write it down like follow up on things you know if your friends are not feeling fine do something nice for them like send them you know five dollars and tell them to buy a coffee on you like be the person that does those little things that you know you kind of hear about or you see in movies and that that don't seem to happen in real life that much you can just be that person and you can just be bothered and that will you know make you in the top one percent of friends
3: yeah, I think my problem is that I I'm bothered in the other definition I'm uh, bothered <laughs> instead of the way you're using it. So, yeah. I well, have
0: I have a, a follow up to that. So did this just come naturally to you as a kid like you just kind of got it and you're like this is what being a good friend is or mm-hmm. did it take any type of moment um, or did it just evolve slowly over time or you're like this is really what it takes like be bothered and
2: care and show up. No, I, I- I definitely learned it in my early 20s. Um, I mean, I was always like very caring and affectionate naturally. But then um, in my early 20s, I had a very, very, very traumatic breakup, which involved me having to cut off almost all of my friendship group. And it's really confronting to have to rebuild that as a young adult, because it's so much harder to make friends as an adult. So that kind of forced me to stop and think, you know, what do I need in friends? What do I want from friends? What do I have to, like, if I want this high level of, you know, respect and loyalty and care, then I need to provide that too. And then the process of making a whole new support and friendship network in my mid twenties, um, kind of taught me that because I didn't have the luxury of spending 10 years at school with these people. I had to meet people, be like, okay, I think, I think they're a good person. I want to be their friend. So I had to, you know, pursue them, like court them, I guess, to become my friends. Um, and then that helped me build the habits of just being a good and proactive. Friend.
3: So as you talk about that experience, are there crossovers to how you network and find clients with the way that you developed your friend group or redeveloped a friend group? As I imagine there's a lot of similarities, uh, you know, how do you go about doing that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's the same skill. So, you know, um, I have a a little like a mental rule, which is when you meet someone, um, at a, an event or a conference or a party or whatever it is, and you guys get along and, you know, you think you want to develop that relationship in whatever way it, it, it might look like, um, I've realized that there's a sort of an essential time period in which you have to reconnect, not just online. Like you have to have a proper conversation with them within, um, I would say usually within three weeks. That's like the maximum time period that you have to cement a new relationship. Um, And you have to do something more than just like message them and say, hey, you know, we should get coffee sometime. You either have to actually have that coffee or do something above and beyond, like send them something, you know, if it's a potential business um, relationship, like send them a resource, but like a cool personalized usable resource or give them, you know, like 15 minutes of your time, give them some advice, like do something above and beyond within three weeks to cement that relationship, Um, offer them something without expectation of return. And then that will usually be enough. Even if you don't speak for like six months after that, you're in their head as someone in your network that they can reach out to.
0: Okay. That's cool. And could you provide an example, a specific example of how you've done that maybe recently
2: in, in, in business? Um, I mean, I think the, the largest scale example of that would have been when it came to you guys's um, conference a few months ago. Um, and Unsurprisingly, I'm super introverted, so it was it, it was a lot to be interacting with so many people and so many cool people and so many people that I thought would be awesome to have in my network. Um, and so, rather than meeting people and letting them slip through my fingers, I made a group for brown voice copywriters and started collecting people into it and started talking in it. Um, I, you know, someone that I I liked quite a lot and wanted to connect with had a headache so I went out of my way to get them some painkillers as a way of like you know offering my friendship and being a person that they remember fondly um yeah and just a a few things like that where I just made a point to do something extra and keep in touch with them regularly and now I consider very very many of those people my actual friends
3: this this seems like uh, a hidden gem. Uh, no, we've talked to a lot of people about networking, and nobody has mentioned like the three week three week follow up. Do something to stand out, and so I, I'm just I think I'm just echoing that back because I as I think about this I'm like this is brilliant. But also at the event, you did like we were fortunate to have you on the stage and you did something that was very different from what everybody else did on the stage. And that stood out and I think probably attracted some people to you as well. Um, you did a spoken word performance that was amazing. And you. Uh, you know, I, I would love to hear a little bit more too about about that and and why you do that, uh, you know, how that all has come about.
2: Um, I do it because it's terrifying. <laughs> um, that's that's pretty much the reason. I've always written stories and poems. Um, and um, when I was a bit younger, before I had a computer, um, and I was handwriting everything, I realized that the the mood that I was in affected my handwriting. And the way I wanted the poem to be read affected my handwriting. And I realized that subconsciously, i had been putting in cues for like um, pacing and tone and intonation into my handwriting. And once I realized that I was like, oh shit, I need to, these need to be spoken. These need to be heard. These need to um, be performed. Um, So then I did a few open mic nights, um, been invited to perform at a couple of places. including at your conference. Um, and yeah, it is definitely the most terrifying thing that I ever do. Oh, it's the te- most terrifying thing that I regularly do.
0: Well, let's talk more about doing the terrifying thing. So how do you prepare for something that is terrifying? Because I feel like you do many things that are terrifying. Um, <laughs> do you have any type of ritual or exercise to to prepare you before you do it, and maybe even during and after?
2: Um, (laughs) I don't know if this is gonna be the most useful piece of advice, but the way I do things which are scary, which I do often, is to, I set things up so that all I have to do is show up and then like the momentum will carry me through. So if I thought too much about performing the poem on stage at TCC IRL, I would have, I wouldn't have gotten on the plane, you know, I would not have showed up, but I just, you know, even if it's too scary to think about performing a poem in front of a crowd, it's not too scary to message you on Slack and be like, hey, I want to do a poem. It's not too scary to just turn up to the conference, which I wanted to go to anyway. It's not too scary to just stand to the side of the stage and hold the microphone. And by the time I get to that point, I can't back out. I have to go through with it. So I use that technique a lot a lot a lot it's like skydiving um and I have been skydiving twice actually all you have to do is show up all you have to do is get on the plane and by then it's too late to back out and even if you want to like I just keep my mouth shut I just don't open my mouth and I don't say anything which might allow me to get out of the the situation and then and then I end up doing the thing
3: yeah, I, so I was I was with you until you said skydiving. And then I'm like, nope, I'm holding on to something in the plane. There is no way I am getting out of the plane if it's not crashing. Yeah. Uh, But I mean, I love hearing you talk about this because there are a lot of things I simply because we've talked several times, there are a lot of things you do that are terrifying, you know, a lot of people are afraid to go to a movie alone, but you're Mm -hmm. traveling the world, you know, on your own, you, um, you show up as um, a, a life model um, you know, you, you do a lot of this stuff that I think most of us would be like, no way, not getting in the car. It's not getting on my calendar. Like I'm not getting anywhere close to that. So it feels like there's maybe something more than just the, the tiny habit of getting yourself close, right. Or, or holding the mic stage.
2: There, there is more. Um, and I think I can narrow it down to two things. Number one is, um, trusting, like trusting myself that I'll be able to either like handle the situation well or at least survive it um, and I learned that skill by traveling alone for a year when I was 18 um, and the first place that I went alone was um, Venice and I didn't have like a sim card I didn't speak the language all I had was a paper map and a hostel i booked at 2 a.m the night before and once I kind of was able to get myself there and figure out the boat and figure out everything. I had this moment of like, oh, I will always be fine. Like, I I can put myself into situations and I will figure it out. And that year of traveling alone definitely taught me that very, very deeply. Um, So that's one part of it. Um, And I think that if you don't have that trust in yourself, it is something that you can actually actively learn by putting yourself in, you don't have to travel alone for a year, but you can put yourself in a situation that's a little bit scary and see how you handle it. And then put yourself in a slightly bigger situation that's a bit scary and see how you handle it and gradually build it up like that. Um, And the other part of it is just not assuming that the, the way that things have always been done is the way for you or you know the right way or the best way um and you know i've i've always i think i've always seen myself as like just slightly outside of the mainstream um and having some of the experiences that i've had have um forced me to consider that the straight and narrow is not for me and once you let go of that things open up like So many paths open up and so many different ways of doing things open up and it's scary, but incredible.
0: Can you talk more about that? So I guess for someone listening who maybe is like, oh, I kind of fit into the mainstream more, I guess if I had to classify myself, but I like that idea of not assuming the way things are done um, is the way forward. So how do I, like, how do I put that into practice? It sounds good, it makes sense. I like yeah. what you're saying, but how do I do it if I'm not
2: naturally there already? Um, I mean, I think that if you want something different, then you're already there enough. Like you don't, you don't have to be, you don't have to have like a membership card to being an outsider to do this. Like this is available to anyone. Um, and the first step is to allow yourself to want, to allow yourself to want something different and to allow yourself to believe that something different is possible. Like, and that's definitely something that's very relevant to copywriters and business owners. Like, believe that you can have a certain lifestyle. Believe that you can achieve certain things. Believe that you can work four hours a day and make enough money, like, for the lifestyle that you want. Um, And once you really do believe that you can have that, then you you start figuring out, okay, how, what do I need to do? What do I need to look at? Which questions do I need to ask? And it's kind of linked to, um, you know, what's your definition of success, right? Because if you allow yourself to think beyond, okay, I want to make six figures in my nine to five and climb a corporate ladder and have a house and kids, then, you know, then you start being like, okay, what do I actually want? and, And what do I want my, day-to-day life to look like? And then what do I have to do to build that?
3: So as I listened to you talk about that, Liv, uh, I mean, obviously there are things, there are times that most of us jump into things that are scary, you know, being a new parent or starting a, mm-hmm. a you know freelancing job without, you know, that kind of, you know, a, a safety net or anything like that. But do you have like a list of the next scary thing you're going to do, you know, a brave list where it's like, "Oh, these are the six more things that I'm going to do that really like make the hair <laughs> stand up on the back of my neck."
2: Um, no, not really. I just I just I just take it as it comes. Like um yeah, I don't I don't have a specific list. Usually usually that my big 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 scary things are sort of slower moving things like starting a business and then going full-time in the business things like you know maybe buying a property like they're they're kind of bigger things Um, but I I, I guess I counteract them with smaller scary things which are more achievable and more like fun like starting gymnastics or like you know performing a poem somewhere in front of a big crowd or um, I just I had my first singing lesson a week ago which I find absolutely terrifying and vulnerable but I like being in that space. So, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of hoping you'll sing for us at some part of, <laughs> some part of this <laughs>
0: conversation. We can get that. Um, how do you check in for you? How do you check in with what you want? Because I think this, all again, this all makes sense, but it's also easy to kind of lose your way. I think at times you mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. say, okay, well, am I actually being intentional and, and questioning status quo to figure out what i want do what do you do is it like a weekly check-in a daily check-in something else
2: um i used to do a monthly check-in in my journals i don't have that structure anymore but it's because i did it for so long that i have much more clarity around my like a few sort of big goals and i'm taking steps towards them at the moment but if people want to do this and they're not really sure how to start envisaging it for themselves, um, I would say that from little things, big things grow, like start with one day. What does your best normal working look like? So for me, um, my ideal day is to work from like 5.30 to 10.30 a.m., and then make a luxurious brunch and then go to the beach and then do like an hour of admin or business development and an hour of study in the afternoon and then have, and then go do my gymnastics classes. That's what an amazing day looks like for me. And so I can extrapolate from that, that if I want to do that, I have to um, have a business that, you know, I only need to spend four or five hours on for client work a day and I need something that is very, very flexible. And then I can, you know, I just look at all the details of my perfect day and start to build out the details from that and kind of go from there.
3: Okay, I wanna go back to uh, what you're talking about when you got started as a copywriter. You said Mm -hmm. that, you know, you, you found copywriting and you sort of realized it was the thing that you were kind of already doing. What were you doing? And how did you basically go from that realization to, you know, spending more and more of your time and effort, writing copy, creating brand voice um, elements Mm -hmm. for your clients, all of that.
2: Um, So I was working at a magazine two days a week. And part of that, you know, I was writing articles and I was editing and I was, you know, doing all these things, but part of it was I was writing advertorials for like the the magazine's clients that had taken out ads in the magazine Um, and that was kind of my first taste of it Um, and then when I decided to start my business doing it I hilariously thought it would take me a weekend (laughs) to write a website and just like get it live and have all that and um, wow I think it took me six months. (laughs) Um, but that was because I, I just, I had no idea. I'd never run a business. Like I didn't, I didn't know anything about like creating services or about having like a brand or I didn't even know really that much about copywriting. Um, but I, the, the person whose website I first found, which I like kept going back to, I think I looked at it every day for like a month. Um, she offered online coaching. So I, scrambled together a huge sum of money for me at the time um even today like not a small amount of money it was like a few thousand dollars um to get a few months of coaching with her and not only did she help me get my business and website live but in that process I learned so much about copywriting and like for sure would not be um my business would not be in the place that it is today without that initial like boost. Um, So yes, I, I love coaching, coaching, business, coaching, education. I'm such a fan. Every time I've invested in it, it has propelled my business like years forward.
0: So I have the timeline straight. Like when, when was that, that you worked with that coach? When was Um, that discovered copy? Was that around the same time?
2: Yeah. Or shortly after. So I discovered copy writing and I think, sh- I think it might've actually been her that I saw posting in the Facebook group and then checked out a website, checked out a few other people. So that was, that was about four years ago. Okay. Um, and yeah, did, did the coaching, got my business running. Um, she actually referred some of my first clients to me, um, which was really great. And yeah.
0: Okay. Then, Can you talk about where you are today and paint a picture of what business looks like today, especially thinking about your, your vision for your business? Like, are you working from 530 to 1030 and then having the brunch and then like doing the admin?
2: Are you there yet? Or how close to that are you today? Um, So I am, I am so close. I can taste it. It is on the tip (laughs) of my tongue. I can taste the brunch. <laughs> um, I'm not there yet because I still have a full-time job. Um, and originally my plan was, because even though I, I, I like to throw myself into things, I also actually plan very carefully. Um, my original plan was to leave my full-time job in one year from now. Um, but I think it is going to be significantly sooner than that. I think that my business has picked up a lot of momentum in the past year or so, and particularly in the past um, few months. And I've been sort of straddling that point of, um, I wanted to grow my business to the point where I had to leave my full-time job. And I've been sitting there for a while um, and kind of, working harder than I want to work to handle both and I'm definitely ready to um, have a more relaxed day very 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 soon
3: we share a little bit about that schedule because, obviously, working a full-time job, launching a you know side business uh, that has almost become full-time for you. Um, and initially, when you do it, it's easy because you just have one or two clients and and it's only yeah. a couple of hours. But now it's not. So, how do you strike that balance? And how has that grown to the point where, yeah, you definitely have to make a decision in the near future?
2: Um, I strike that balance with great difficulty. <laughs> Um, it helps that I'm a morning person and I naturally wake up um, around five. So I do have almost a whole other half day in my day. Um, But it's also forced me to be really efficient and really streamlined, like get my processes down, understand what I need to work without faffing around. Um, Because if I have two and a half hours to get this shit done, um, I need to get it done in that time. So it's definitely taught me that and also forced me to be more considered with what I offer and how I structure them and when I schedule my calls and my workshops. Um, And also I've taken on a junior copywriter who helps me with some things.
0: Well, and because we're talking about juggling both and you may or may not leave job sometime soon. What advice would you give to someone who's also in a similar position and straddling both and really feeling like, okay, this is a lot, or maybe it's not quite a lot yet, but they don't know when they should leave the full-time job. What advice would you give
2: them? I would say, appreciate the security of the salary while you have it and take it as an opportunity to develop your business, which is what I've done. Like um while I've had a salary, I've invested a lot in coaching. You know, I signed up for Think Tank. I've bought courses and resources. I've outsourced a lot of things in my business. Um, and so, and, and I've, I've allowed myself to, you know, take on less client work so that I can focus on developing my business um, so that when I do take the plunge, I don't have to spend that money all that time, because I've, I've built like a really, really, really solid foundation for myself, which is ready to carry me. You know, I don't know that I would want to pay for a year of think tank when I suddenly go full time, because so that's why I decided to do it now while I still have a salary and I don't rely on the, on my freelance income to support me so much. So that's, that's the advice that I would give. Take advantage of the security, be intentional with the extra money while you have it, but don't get too comfortable with it. Just, you know, remember, why are you doing this? Why are you working extra hard right now? Eyes on the prize. Um, Remember the life that you want to build for yourself and that, you know, yeah. And also, like, be, be proud of yourself that you're doing all this stuff towards it. I think that's also really important.
0: Okay, Jen, let's break in here and talk about some ideas that stood out so far for you what resonated for you the most?
1: I really liked the idea of being bothered. And I didn't think about that when it comes to friendships or connections in general, and to really take notice of different details and bring that back full circle. I know her three-week follow-up period, I'm really bad at following up with people that I network with. So I'm definitely going to take that into my own um, practice because I think that really kind of getting like especially at TCC IRL, I met so, so many amazing people and I've connected with them, but then I never followed up after that and it's a great practice to have. And I think that that's something that we all should do a little bit more and whether that's with our clients, with our peers, um, with anyone that we want to build that relationship with because um, building relationships is super important.
0: Yeah, that stood out the most to me, probably from the entire conversation. Um, Liv shared so many great ideas from this entire interview, but that part to me, I guess this is a struggle for me as well. <laughs> you know, ma- making friends, keeping friends. I think keeping friends feels a lot harder. Like making friends, I can do that. But keeping them feels like it, it feels like work sometimes because it it is. You have to put in an effort and energy. And so... Um, and I know this is something that Liv has done really well. So when she said, be bothered, when she said that, I was like, oh shoot, I am not nearly bothered enough when it comes to my friends and I don't feel great about that. So like, how can I be bothered more, um, especially with older friends I don't see frequently, how can I do that? So I have, I have really been working on it since this conversation with Liv, um, Just to help, just to help maintain those friendships that I do care about, but it just with like, you know, business, little kids, life, it just can be really hard at times to maintain it. So I like how she talked about it in terms of almost a habit. I don't know if she actually said it's a habit, but the way she talked about it, it's that consistency of doing little things along the way. She even said, you know, I think this is, she said, act like the person that does those little things That you hear about or see in the movies that don't seem to happen in real life, you can be that person, and you can be bothered, and that will make you in the top one percent of friends. And so I don't know. There's just a magical way of approaching friendship that will stay with me for a long
1: time. Definitely. And something that she did from TCIRL, Um, I'm in her brand voice, and it is really she. She really welcomes everyone in, and it's just something that's super memorable. So. I, I really appreciated that and just being able to have um, a touch point with someone, whether it's an ongoing thing or a check-in kind of thing, um, whenever there is time between the ebbs and flows of life. But it's really nice to just have that extra area where you can reach out and connect with other people too. And so she does a great job of not only being bothered by connecting with individuals, but also connecting them too.
0: Right. And seeing that opportunity. So you're right. It wasn't just making a friend or two from an in-person event like TCC IRL, but it was seeing an opportunity um, among a community to create something new like this group um, focused on branding. And so I think that's where you know she's really leaning into community because that's something that's important to her. So Jen, what else stood out to you beyond being a good friend, which you and I will hopefully... <laughs> improve in this area. What else stood out to you?
1: I love the idea of doing something that you're scared of, even though you know that you're scared of it and just seeing how it goes. She really takes that and breaks it down into micro steps. And I think that that's something that me as an overthinker needs to kind of sit down and take a step back and look at everything and break them down into smaller pieces to make the action of doing things that are scary a little bit more digestible and as you continue to like move into doing certain things then it's not as scary as it seems and it it is rewarding at the end
0: Yeah, and she mentioned the momentum will carry you through. So even if you break it, you break the scary thing into, you know, bite-sized chunks and do a little bit at a time, Um, you'll start to feel that momentum and then you'll be able to accomplish the big scary thing. So for you, Jen, I feel like you do scary things all the time, at least from an outside perspective, Um, at least with moving, you've moved a couple of times since I met you. So how do you, how do you approach Doing something that is hard or uncomfortable, or maybe even terrifying, in your business
1: and life. I think I do what Liv does, and she she said it um, where she says that she could put herself into situations and figure it out. And I realized that you know sometimes at the end of the day, it's just you have to do it to know. Like thinking about the idea of something is. You know, it's great, but as a, like, I don't know, I'm a mix of a planner, but I'm also leaning into spontaneity a lot. And I think that having a good balance of both really helps bring things full circle, especially with my crazy moves. I, those weren't really planned. And I think it's been really great opportunities, um, personally and professionally, just to kind of do that and then make sure that. At the end of the day, I'm—I don't know—the fear dissolves, I guess, and it kind of turns into an adrenaline rush. I don't know how to describe that, but um, it's—it does feel like a momentum that carries you through.
0: Yeah, and if if you're comfortable sharing this, you moved first. It was to was it to Austin first?
1: Yes. There's a, a small like tidbit before that, but um, I was based in New York City. And I had um, my partner and I had visited friends out in California and it was just to visit. And we discovered a house that we fell in love with and we decided to buy it. And so we had an offer and everything. We were in escrow COVID hit and we decided the best thing to do was to pull out of that offer, but we still wanted to move somewhere. And so our next thought was to move to Texas and, Um, I've never personally been to Austin. I've been to Houston. um, And my partner has never been to Texas in general. And we didn't really know anyone out there. And we just (laughs) decided to do it. And yeah, my family was not too happy about that. Um, But yeah, we we moved. And it was such a weird time, especially mid-pandemic. But I think that that really helped me move out of my comfort zone and propelled me to start my business because I don't think I would have did a jump like that. Um, I quit my corporate job with no plan. And so um, I don't think I would have done that without moving spontaneously to another state that I've never been to. And then you moved again, right? Yes. So (laughs) we (laughs) bought a house sight unseen in Florida and we made the move out here. Um, so again, yeah, very adventurous, <laughs> I guess.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, I think it's a great example of terrifying and adventurous and stepping out of your comfort zone can look like many different things and, um, and it's not easy and we can lean into it in different ways. And so I love the examples that Liv shared in her conversation with us throughout the entire conversation. There's so many great examples. And then I think you you know, living, breathing proof of um, another example. Just around movement and redesigning your life in a different way, and not and not being really intentional about where you want to be, and not really settling for anything else. Mm-hmm, definitely. All right. So, what else really grabbed your attention?
1: I think looking at the details of what you envision to be a perfect day or a perfect, like how you want to build your life, and then believing. In it. And I think that the belief thing is so crucial to doing anything, really. Like, if you don't believe that you could do certain things, it's going to come out somehow. Like, it's whether it's your expressions or the way that you talk, it's you have to believe at least enough in what you're doing to, I guess, propel forward. And I feel like um, when I've had conversations with Liv, she's just been so inspiring um, about the fact that she really takes this reframe when it comes to thinking about things. And um, one of the things that she does, that is really awesome, and I've kind of tried to adapt it in my own mindset um, or mind reframes, is that she creates like very grandiose um, statements that, is just so over-exaggerated that builds on positivity. And so whether it's not really true, it's like speaking something into existence. And I think that that's super powerful because then when you're in a positive mind frame, you can just feel uplifted about everything. And there's it opens the doors to opportunities that you probably might have missed if you were stuck on things that you're worried about.
0: Yeah. And would you be open to sharing it a specific example of that? Because we didn't we didn't cover that um, reframe in the conversation with Liv.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that I've been um, focused on is um, I'm launching I, I launched a, a workshop and I've been pushing it off for a month and a half or two months And the reason why that I did that was because I was so caught up in my own web of thoughts that it's just not going to go well, no one's going to show up, who am I to talk about anything and why should I be the one to host something? And so um, after I did talk to Liv, it was kind of eye-opening to kind of reframe that and say, you know, this is the first thing that I'm working on. And I just have to do it because if I'm just circling around my thoughts and not actually knowing facts, then I'm never going to know what the outcome is. And I think that sometimes when you are scared or worried about an outcome, you just kind of have to propel forward and see what happens and take it step by step in bite-sized chunks and figure out what the best next thing is, because if you don't do it, you're not going to know. And so I've been just telling myself this is going to be the best workshop ever. Everyone's going to know about it and everyone's going to love everything that is in there and kind of just, you know, I guess giving myself that pep talk that I need and that helps so much yeah, that's a great
0: example. So thank you
1: for sharing that. Um, and
0: I've seen you present workshops. so i I know I know you over deliver and I know it's going to be that grand, but I also know how we can get in our own way. Um, and I've done that plenty of times. So that's I think quite relatable to many copywriters. Um, so you know, Jen, before before we wrap up this part of the conversation, I just want to mention one one more idea that she mentioned that Liv mentioned around just, you know, being different. And I guess this kind of speaks to what you're saying as well about um, being really clear about your vision. And what I like about Liv is that, you know, she's so inspiring and helpful around figuring out what we all want, right? Like what she wants is very different from what you want, which is different from what I want. And I think just listening to her speak, it gives – at least it gives me permission to be like – okay, I can want something totally different and I can know that that different is actually possible and that's okay. And um, in, in sometimes I think it's overwhelming to figure out what that path could look like, if, especially if it's not a typical path, like a typical corporate ladder that you can climb or a typical career path. Um, even in the entrepreneurial space, like there can – there are – there tends to be like more typical paths you can take even as a business owner. And so I think as soon as you realize, I don't wanna follow a typical path, I wanna do things differently, it can become very overwhelming because then you're like, well, what does that even mean? And how do I do it? What does that look like? But I think what Liv spoke to that resonated with me is that it's enough just to know, I don't wanna run my business the same way everyone else is running their business. I don't wanna live my life the same way everyone else is living their life. Or I don't want, you know, I don't want to raise my kids the same way. And it's just enough to say that and to commit to it, even if you don't understand what that even looks like, or maybe even what that means to you yet. And you don't have that path, that's a great starting point. And I think Liv is so um, powerful when she talks about that because, you know, she's living and breathing it and is you know, giving other people permission to think differently about how they can build their business and their life as well. So that, that was huge for me.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, everyone's different. And that's something that we realize once you start talking to different people, there's no one set way to do anything. And being able to just listen to different paths that other people have taken it helps you shape what you want and what you don't want in your own path. And I think that that's something that's really powerful to take away. And yeah, Liv definitely does that and speaks speaks and lives that for sure. All
0: right. So let's jump back into the interview with Liv and find out a little bit more about her brand strategy process and what a brand story looks like for Liv.
3: So tell us a little bit more about your business, the kinds of clients that you serve, the kind of work that you do, you know, what does a typical project look like?
2: Um, Yeah, so I do, I mostly sit in like the brand strategy space. So I really like working with people that are building new brands or launching sub brands. Um, I realized the longer I did copywriting that I actually don't like writing very much. And I just want to do the research and the the strategy and the thinky-feely stuff and then give that to someone else to roll out. (laughs) Um, So I work with uh, a lot of startups or a lot of younger businesses who um, have a good product or service and they've been in business for a few years and they have the money to pay me. That's important. Um, But maybe they didn't develop a brand properly or at all when they started and now they're growing and and now they realize that they need to um, get their house in order before they get too big and it gets too chaotic so that's that's usually who I work with um, I also partner with some agencies who do similar work um, but they tend to have like larger clients so I do a lot of stuff through those agencies for like real estate developers venues stuff like that um, I actually I recently discovered a new like niche of the brand strategy space which I am so excited about making. placemaking um, and it's basically the brand strategy for a physical place but then um, rolling it out for like okay this is the brand identity and this is the narrative what does that look like for the food and bev offering and what does that look like for the experiences on offer at this place and what does that look like for the decor in the hotel rooms and what does that look like for the you know, just rolling it out through to every detail, um, and it is so fascinating. So, so delighted to have come across it.
0: Okay, well, um, I want to do that. Tell me more about that. How, let's say, I want to start rolling this out to where? What's a good mm-hmm. starting point? What do I need to start doing in order to do it well and understand what I'm doing and explore it further?
2: Um, if you if you can write a brand story then that's that's like the first that's the first um that's the first piece of it um I was trying to explain what a brand story is to my mom once um and I said it's like a poem that um contains the soul of a brand and that's kind of what made her understand it and I think if you can distill the, the soul of a brand into a story you can then use that to extrapolate all these other details and yeah, I would just say, don't, don't bullshit when you write the brand story. Like do it properly and genuinely. And with a lot of thought and consideration, because if that is strong, then it'll be easy to be like, okay, so how are we going to do this hotel's staff uniforms now? Like, what do they, what do they need to be like? Look at the brand story, see what's there. And it'll be easy to build it out from there. But if you kind of just write something that sounds nice, and it's not, based in anything, then you will have a hard time rolling it out to other more, um, like physically tangible aspects.
3: Yeah. I'm curious what this looks like from a brand, uh, guide standpoint. So, you know, it's easy to, to think about, okay, the voice needs to be like this because, you know, you use these words, whatever. Clearly, we've all had experiences with brands that are in a space. You know, the IRL was at a virgin hotel, and so you know, there's cool yeah. artwork on the wall, there's lots of red, you know, the, the brand colors. Um, but how else does like if you're working with a client like this? I know you're new to this, so, so I may be asking you yeah. some things that so you haven't <laughs> done everything for yet, but um, how does that show up in the guide? Do you define you know a particular aroma or do you um you know yes. set, do you show it like is that, examples? it is that detailed
2: like, yeah yeah so for example you know if you're working with a hotel and okay the brand story is where you know we love music and we're we're you know we have roots to the ties to the community and you know history and all of that um then you would have a section about scent branding and you would say. Um, you know based on the the brand narrative these are the kinds of scents that will enhance and continue building the experience that we're trying to build and then you might you might suggest um, a a a brand of like fragrance to work with or not Um, but you might say you know we're going to use rosemary and sea salt I don't know I just made that up, but you know, you would, you would suggest, you would actually go so far as to suggest. (laughs) Yeah. I like rosemary too, (laughs) Um, but you would go so far as to suggest actual um, fragrances, actual fabrics, actual producers, suppliers that fit in. So yeah, it's, it's very, it gets very granular.
0: Well, and how are you sourcing all of that? Especially as someone who's jumping into it, it's new and exciting. Uh, just like a lot of Google searches, are you building partnerships with suppliers or designers? Um, how, how do you get started with that, such new territory?
2: Ask me that question again in six months and I might have a different answer, but I would say it's both. I would say it's it's um, a lot of Googling and over time, probably relationships. Or you'd, you'd probably just, I imagine, would build up um, a bit of a database of supplies that you know can fit a certain vibe and be able to bring them forwards. But yeah, ask me again in six months.
3: <laughs> okay. And I want to ask about another thing that I know you do in your business, which is microcopy. And yes. I, I think you have a passion for it. So talk to us a little yes, bit about do. microcopy. Why you like it? Well, actually maybe first, because I think a lot of people maybe don't even know what it is, but what is microcopy? What What is um I mean, we, we might be able to point to some examples, but is there like a definition? So it's like, Oh yeah. Okay. I get what that is. And why is it so critical as part of branding and brand voice?
2: So microcopy is all those tiny little bits of copy. For example, if you open an app and there's it's like the copy on the buttons and the copy um, within the app that help you use it. So usually you know usually you have an extremely limited character count and a very important function to fulfill like it's extremely practical copy so the challenge is to keep that copy functional and clear and easily understandable but then also inject some brand personality into it and sometimes you only have 37 characters and you have to tell the people what is going to happen or what they're going to do um when they click the button and so it is it's a very unique challenge trying to um balance the functionality and the brand personality and that is why i like it so much
0: all right i am jumping back to brand strategy sorry but i have <laughs> more questions because um, it comes up so frequently and so many copywriters are Jumping fully into it or dabbling, and I wonder how you sell your brand strategy, and if you have advice for selling it because it can be difficult for some copywriters to sell it.
2: Yeah, um, a few different. I have a few different ways. Um, number one, when people come to me asking for web copy, I ask them some questions to find out where they're at with their brand, and if they are nowhere with their brand, which is often. Um, I'll just kind of explain to them that I can't, like, I can't do it without a brand strategy. That like all of their web copy and everything needs to be based on this piece. And if they don't have it, um, their web copy and their socials and their everything is going to not be cohesive. Um, and usually that is enough because people want to feel reassured that their business is being taken care of and when i explain it in the way of like you need to rewind and do all this research and i kind of present it as this really thorough important piece then people tend to like that they're like oh yeah like i i do want my brand to be based in research not just words um and the other way is i I just, I just present it not as an option. Like if you want to work with me, that piece has to be done first and it's built into my project pricing. And it's, it's not like, okay, if you want, if you want me to do your web copy, the web copy is this much, but we also have to do the strategy, which is this much. It's just one thing. It's just one lump price. I don't separate it out. So they don't have that feeling of, oh, do I really want to spend this much extra money to pay for that? No, like you, you just have to.
3: That's it. I like that approach. We've gone back and forth. Uh, I know Kira does the same thing with research and copy. And I don't. I atomize it. And I guess it works both ways. But okay, so my next question for you is (laughs) about your framework. Uh, Yes. This is kind of a callback to what we were talking about earlier. You have a propensity for bravery and doing things that are maybe a little crazy to some of us. Um, but you have a framework, Brave. Will you talk to us about that and walk us through the framework, but why did you develop that and uh, your thinking behind it?
2: Yeah, um, so I was trying to put some structure into the way that I approach brands. And I realized that I did not have a step-by-step way of approaching it, but rather I had this kind of constellation of um, angles of examination, which I found would kind of cover all the bases. So the acronym is BRAVE um, and it stands for Body Language, Relatability, Articulation, Values and Expression. Um, And Funny that we were talking about microcopy because body language it refers to the UX. Um, so my whole my whole approach to brand strategy and branding is that um humans have uh mannerisms mannerisms and personalities and all these um things that we've been enculturated with from a young age. And when you're building a brand, you you have to construct all of that stuff um, intentionally. Um, and when your brand lives online, it doesn't have like a, a physical body to give off signals, but s- such a high percentage of, um, the way that our brains take in information is through nonverbal communication. So if you want to try and use that with your brand and use that to connect with your audience, it's the UX that kind of provides that Body language. And that's, so it's the usability, it's um, where your brand lives online. Is the messaging appropriate for the platform that it's on? Is it easy to use? Um, and that's so important these days because literally anyone can put something up on the internet. Like we know not to trust just anything that we see on the internet these days. Um, and so if your website or app or whatever looks a bit dodgy, like, bye-bye, like no one is going to trust your brand if it doesn't come across as authentic um, or legitimate online. Um, And then relatability is about understanding your audience's psychology and emotions so that you can build those relationships. Um, Articulation is not so much what you're saying, but how you're saying it. So finding your unique verbal style um, and that's done through voice of customer, Uh, research and some competitive research as well Um, values the value part is not just about your brand's values like it's good to know those but you also need to know your customers values and how your brand helps your customers become more aligned with their own values because if you understand that then you know that's really really powerful stuff and then expression is more of the technical size of, you know, how your brand is going to communicate. So that's more the stuff that you'd normally find in a brand voice guide, you know, your formatting and your tone of voice and how you use emojis and what your sense of humor is and how that comes across and you know, all of that. So, yeah, that's the, that's the constellation. And I found that it's also a really useful diagnostic tool. If you if you have a brand that already exists and you want to ask how strong it is, you can look at it from each of those angles and see if there are any gaps or if there are any weak points.
0: Where do you think most copywriters struggle with the first part of it, the body language and the um, UX part? Like if we can make one or two changes to most copywriter businesses, I know we're generalizing, but what would be some changes we can make to improve our body language?
2: That's a great question. It's hard to say because copywriters vary so much, um, and but just you know, digesting some resources on UX or trying to have a closer relationship with a designer that you're working with um, will help. But I think that most copywriters have some in intuitive understanding of this because you know copywriting is not just what you're writing it's also how is it laid out is it readable is it scannable um and that's just go deeper into that part of copy and you'll find yourself in the world of ux so
3: yeah i mean as i think about that there are definitely copywriters out there that are using a lot of the same images uh, and it, it's of yeah. course it's not just copywriters, right? Like uh, you know, I think about ESPs and the headlines are all kind of the same. Email service providers, they're they all promise the same kind of thing. They all kind of use the same fonts, the you know similar colors. So it, it's uh, it, it's something that I think a lot of categories do, where they sort of adopt what everybody else is doing in mm-hmm. in their industry, and we don't try to be different enough. Um, you're, yeah. I, but I do think you're right. Like there are copywriters who get it and you know, that that they've done it, but, um, is that, yeah. that is what we're talking about when we're talking about body language.
2: That's, that's part of it. So all of the elements of my framework are, um, intentionally a little bit vague and that's because everyone's businesses and everyone's brands are really different and I wanted them to be applicable. So it's, Kind of like a horoscope, right? Like take what is relevant to you <laughs> from it. <laughs>
3: Today is a good day for me. Yeah, okay.
2: <laughs> take what things, yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I like okay. that. And I also like that you that you described it as this constellation of things because oftentimes we think about a framework as step by step. And of course, process yeah. frameworks are like that, but that's not yeah. the only way to do it. And I like that you're doing it differently, like you do Thank so you. much stuff differently.
2: <laughs> yeah. And and another reason I did that was because um, it's an iterative process. So I wanted it to be something that people can come back to like every six months and check, like, am I still going strong with all of these? Like, have I improved in this one that was struggling a bit? Um, and you don't have to go through all of them. Like, you just look at the one that needs attention each time and so I wanted it to be something that people come back to like again and again and again um and I really strongly believe that like the best system is one that people will actually use and if it if I made it a step-by-step process it that might have just been too long it might have just been too much effort for people so doing it this way people can pick and choose what they need at the time and that makes them more likely to actually apply it
0: I want to go back to what you're saying about your business and building momentum. Um, Mm -hmm. We talked kind of around some of the things you've done, like investing in your business and investing in coaching. Uh, But I'd love to just hear any specific changes you made that helped you build that momentum for anyone who's listening, who's like, I want to have momentum too. Sounds like I should probably invest in myself, but like what else Why am I investing in myself? What do I actually need to do once I invest? Or can I do it without investing in a coach?
2: Yeah. Um, I think the biggest piece of advice that I would give to people if they wanted to build momentum in their business and they didn't or couldn't invest in a coach is the same thing that I would tell people who wanted to make more friends, which is just be bothered. Like check in with your past clients Two months later and be like hey like how's your website going not not necessarily with the intention of getting more business um like for example ages ago like three years ago i did some work with a naturopath um helped her with a website products or email things like that and then two weeks ago i saw that she had partnered with a skincare company that i really like and her products were featured in an email that they sent out, and they had put together some bundles together. So I emailed her, being like, "Hey, how are you? Hope you're well. I saw your products on, you know, this skincare website's email. That's super cool. Like, I I love that you partnered with them. I think your brands are a really good fit. Hope you're well." And that was it. um And you know, she replied. We had a little chat, but it's that kind of thing that just shows that you care and that you remember and that you're not necessarily thinking about them, but if if they do pop into your mind, let them know. Um, so, yeah, just be bothered because if people believe that you care about their business, even if you don't really, or, you know, you don't have to hold them like deep in your heart, but if you just, if you, yeah, if you care about them enough to remember little things like that, then they will come back to you and they will refer people to you. And that has definitely made a big difference for me. Like I have, a few clients that I've been working with for three years, or like three and a half years, like pretty much since I started my business and I'm still working with them. And I think that's because I act like I care about their businesses.
3: So you've obviously had a, a really good year, quadrupled your business over the last year. You mentioned investing in coaching, being bothered. Is there anything else that you have done to create this environment where you've been able to succeed that maybe some of the rest of us can borrow some of those ideas and, and also succeed.
2: I've done a lot of work on like refining my services, upping my prices, networking, um, getting my name out there, working on my visibility, all, all of that, you know, like standard business development stuff.
0: Maybe I can flip that question then. And what, what is a struggle today? Cause it sounds just listening to the show. Uh, it sounds like you have it figured out. Like, it's going well you've done the right things you're just imp- approaching it in such a great way and with intention so what is a struggle for you today other other than what you mentioned i mean juggling a full-time job mm-hmm. and it's really hard but other than that
2: um i know that i talk about it all very like calmly and happily but it's it's a roller coaster it is such a roller coaster so uh, A big thing that I've struggled with is feeling like I have a right to show up in a certain way. Like I often have to remind myself that I actually do know what I'm talking about and I do have valuable knowledge and I've been doing this more than full time for four years. But in my head, I'm still like a baby. Um, so that's been a really hard and constant challenge. Um, but I have um, embraced feeling like a novice and embraced doing things anyway. Um, So I think a a good business skill to have is to get used to doing things while you're scared. Like being, being brave in life and in business is not about not being scared it's about doing things despite being scared and learning to be okay with that um yeah it 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 sort of gets easier or you get um more comfortable with it but i think it's a constant thing because in when you're growing your own business you never achieve it you're never finished there's always the next thing and a bigger thing and a, a new thing to do so i think just accepting that um has been a a big challenge,
3: but a good lesson. Yeah. So I I was going to say, or ask what's next for you, but you've kind of told us, you know, the experiential branding thing and, you know, launching into your own business at some point in the near future. So really Mm -hmm. my question is like, what's the ultimate goal, not what's next, but where are you going to (laughs) be in a year or two or five years? Like how big is the live empire going to be?
2: Um, look, I want to be the next you guys.
3: <laughs> so not um, that big. It's not, not that big.
2: Not potatoes. Not potatoes. I potatoes. Yeah. I not, not anytime soon, but I definitely see myself building a community at some point. Um, I think, I think that I would be good at it. And I also think that I would get a lot of satisfaction out of it. And um kind of creating the space that I want to exist in has always been um a very salient feature of my life so in the future maybe in like a year from now I will start thinking about what that might look like but until then I'm just going to keep going with my brand voice group chat
0: (laughs) all right I've got two lightning round questions maybe I can throw in another one because I feel like we need to have three okay but um gymnastics can you share a business lesson from what you've learned doing gymnastics yeah
2: i can give you two business lessons actually number one is that nothing is as easy as it looks um but you can get there with consistent effort and number two embrace being bad at things and don't let that stop you from trying new things because you will surprise yourself
0: yeah and when did you start doing gymnastics it was recently
2: right not that long ago. yes it was Five months ago.
3: And you're like a handstand expert as well. Or maybe that's part of the gymnastics. Not a,
2: thing. not an expert, but I have been doing handstands for about two years. Um, but I did start gymnastics five months ago. And actually, yesterday, I landed my very first front handspring by myself. So, oh, big wow. day for me. Yes.
3: Yeah. For you. Yeah. Big move. That's, Thank you. <laughs> I think that would break something. I... If...
0: Yeah, trained. I did gymnastics as a kid, and I was not the best. So I respect everyone who can do gymnastics. Um, next lightning round question: skincare routine. I feel like um, <laughs> I've heard you talk about this, but maybe not really. Also, I mean, yes. Do you? Can you share your routine or any advice, skincare advice for anyone listening? <laughs>
2: Um,
3: <laughs> that I'm always, doesn't sound very lightning yes. round to me, Kira. That is, that not, is that not a um, lightning
2: round question? I don't. It, that, that's a whole other thing, but um, oh, there are so many angles to come at this from, and I'm not sure which one to take. Um, skincare is, it's about the ritual of feeling good. So do whatever it takes to Um, immerse yourself in the ritual of feeling good and also wear SDF. If I could give one piece of Mm. advice to anyone, wear SDF every day, even in winter, and don't forget your neck. (laughs) And your hands,
0: and your hands. And your hands, hands, yeah. I always remember that. Um, Yeah, exactly. Last lightning round question, because again, we need three. Um, What do you believe is possible for copywriters today that feels really exciting um, and is possible for all of us in the future.
3: Oh, that seems like a really big question for lightning round too. Like, I thought lightning round was like, name your favorite (laughs) Muppet, you know, or...
0: (laughs) I clearly don't understand the concept of lightning
2: round. Um, Again, so many potential angles to approach this question from. So I'm going to choose the one that is kind of relevant to the other stuff that we've been talking about. And I think that copywriters, it is possible for copywriters to design the life that they want to live, whatever that looks like for them.
3: I like that answer. Yeah. I didn't and, and everybody's, yeah. <laughs> everybody's can be a little different
2: to, Yeah, uh, to
3: match with the life. That's so. exactly. a great lightning
0: round answer, even though I did not give you a great <laughs> lightning round answer. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> um, for anyone listening who wants to connect with you, who wants just to hear more, um, where can they go? Um, where can they go to connect with you?
2: Um, so they can find me at my website, which is thebrandingpsychologist.com. Um, and you can also find me on LinkedIn um, just under my name, which is Liv Steigrad. Check the show notes for the spelling of that. It is German last name. So don't try and guess it
3: awesome thanks Liv this has been uh it just in, in so many ways just talking about being brave I think is a great message and uh I'm not gonna be skydiving or life <laughs> modeling anytime <laughs> soon but yep. maybe maybe I'll find something else to be brave with so you should go skydiving. let me
2: know when you do I'd love to hear
0: about it <laughs> yeah thank you this has been really fun and inspiring so thank you yeah thank you That's the end of our interview with Liv Steigrad. But before we go, there are just a couple couple ideas we want to touch on. Jen, why don't you kick it off?
1: I love the idea that she that Liv called the to think about brand story as a poem and how she said that to her mom and really distilling the soul of a brand into a story. And then you can extrapolate details from sense to feelings to sounds to all of the things that will tie directly to make a brand like a living thing and that i know as when i do brand um, messaging and brand voice it's a huge thing to kind of really wrap your head around all of the different intricate details that can make a brand story a unique brand story for each individual and company
0: yeah, it was a really beautiful way of talking about uh, branding. And you know what's really cool about what she's doing that's stood out to me, at least from the conversations we've had with other copywriters, is that Liv is now pulling her work um, in brand strategy and pulling it into other areas that touch a brand and a business. So I think you know she was talking about working with hotels. I believe it was hotels, but... Um, and pulling in elements from the original brand guide to start to talk about, you know, physical objects in the space and like what that looks like and talking about products and what are the right products or the right design elements to pull into a hotel um, and what, you know, the sense that you want to pull in. And even, you know, it could be like the type of lighting you want and the type of visual elements that um, you can start to source to, right? You can start to provide recommendations and p- not even just pinterest boards but you can actually start to pull together the products and you can start to build relationships with different vendors to become this really valuable resource that's more definitely more than a copywriter and become more of a a consultant and that opportunity is something that you know is open to all of us and it's not everyone's strength it's not everyone's interest you do not have to do that But it's something that, again, like not many copywriters I know are going to that level um, in our space, right? Especially more of the freelancer space. And that's such a great, fun opportunity to take, just to see the brand strategy come to life in a way that sometimes, you know, we can see our messaging on the internet. But It's like, how fun would it be to actually see products and even furniture that, you know, stemmed from the strategy that you created for a client that's really rewarding. And again, there's a great opportunity for revenue and for um, larger packages too, if you want to think about it that way. So that's something that is worth checking out, thinking about, you know, even reaching out to Liv if you're interested in learning more about that. That grabbed my attention.
1: Yeah. And in building off of that, uh, Liv's brave framework, the way that she calls it a constellation of angles of examination to cover all of the bases is a really unique way of approaching a framework because normally, you know, it's a step-by-step process, but Liv's approach is creating the different angles of, I guess, back to that constellation that anyone can come back and grab what they need at the time. And it's the best system that people will actually use because it It evolves with them and it's not just a one like direction. And that kind of speaks to her overall messaging in terms of what she was saying about finding ways to be different. And I think that that speaks throughout everything that she does. And it's really cool that she could bring, you know, brands to life through those tangible physical items and then also create a web of. Angles to think about as that brand grows to work on over time. Yeah, I mean
0: it's a it's a really powerful framework for her because not only does it speak to what how she approaches her work, like you like you said, the constellation, different angles of examination when you're thinking about branding, but um, so it speaks to how she approaches a problem uh, that she's about to solve. But it's also so cool. I love when a framework connects to the individual you know, the service provider, the copywriter as well, of course, brave, like that's captures the entire conversation with Liv. And if you hang out with her, like that's, that's, you quickly grasp that she is someone who is, is, you know, is brave or in is facing um is courageous and, and facing fear frequently, even though it's not easy for her. So um, it's such a great way to approach a framework where it's personal and you have stories you can connect to it. So you know, Liv has so many stories. She could connect to Brave, but then you can also apply it to the work in a sales message. And so it has it has legs. It can go in many different directions. And I think that's the type of framework that works best. Um, and I agree with what you're saying, Jen. Like it doesn't. It's just also proof that frameworks don't have to be so prescription based and even methodical. They could be. It could be. Here's my framework to show my process step by step, but it can also be more conceptual and even artistic like lives where it's more like, here's how I approach my work. This isn't necessarily a step by step guide, but here's how I think about it. And here's what it will feel like and look like when we work together. Beautifully said. <laughs> and before we wrap Jen, anything else that you
1: want to touch on I just want to call out the gymnastics thing <laughs> because <laughs> I, I definitely feel like it's not as easy as it looks for sure. Um, and consistently consistency is the best way to continue. Like practice makes perfect, right? And I recently um, tried to challenge myself to do a handstand it looks super easy. My partner can do it with no problem, but it scares the hell out of me. (laughs) And so I've been practicing on how to do it. And I felt so silly. But I love that Liv is saying to be okay with being like with looking silly and to just keep going at it. And, you know, after doing it, for I think about a month, I was finally able to feel more comfortable in the motions and I could do one, but I still need an assist, <laughs> but
0: it's almost <laughs> there. <laughs> That's incredible. I didn't know you were doing that. Um, So I want to see Liv's back flip, back handspring. Me too. I, it was either the front handspring or back handspring. I don't remember. I want to see that. And then I want to see your handstand. And then I want to see Rob do a somersault or like something oh a little bit more basic. I want to see that too.
1: And he still has to do a TikTok dance.
0: Right. And he has to do a TikTok dance. Yes. Um, well, yeah, before we wrap, I think the last note I want to mention, we touched on it in the lightning round was uh, the Liv's advice around skincare and what I really like what she said around, it's a ritual of feeling good, right? We didn't get into the weeds about like all the different cleansers and creams. Um, now I would have, you know, had fun talking about that. But at the core, it's a ritual about how to feel good in your body, in your skin, in your mind. Um, and I think that's really important to think about because there's so many rituals related to what we do as copywriters. And so even though we when the question was directed towards skincare. I think it's important as we build our own rituals as business owners, as copywriters that were questioning and and thinking frequently about does this feel good? Like does this work feel good with my client? Does this business decision feel good? Does my morning routine feel good? Does like we can do that frequently and um It's really easy to get to the point where things do not feel good and we just continue to do it because we feel like we should. So I like that she ended the conversation on that point because we can pull it into so many different areas of our lives and our businesses. So
1: I appreciated that. Same. Definitely something that I'm going to ask myself all the time. Yes, me too. So we want to thank Liv for
0: joining us on the podcast today. If you want to connect with her, you can find her at thebrandingpsychologist.com, which we'll link to in the show notes. If you want to listen to more episodes similar to this one, definitely check out episode 215 with Brandon Burton about saying yes to scary things. Check out episode 118 with Saoirse McKenzie about branding and copy. And you can also check out episode 187 with Melissa Berkheimer all about what copywriters need to know about design. And if you want to learn more about the Think Tank, uh, you know, Liv is a member. We talked uh, briefly about that. My co-host Jen is also a member. Um, if you have any interest um, in learning more about the Think Tank, you can find details in the show notes. And I also want to thank my co-host, Jen. Thank you for being here and giving us your time today. If anyone wants to connect with you or learn more about your business, where could they go? They can go to
1: joko.com, J-O-U-H-C-O, and um, connect with me also on Instagram, uh, Joko underscore. And that's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you heard, please visit Apple Podcasts to leave your review of the show. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the- write better, copy,
3: and make more money. Kira
2: and Rob's Copywriters Club.